0: Hello, and welcome to Season 8 of the Second Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, I am so excited to be back with you. Just a reminder, I'm counting on you. The best way to get the word out about the podcast is word of mouth, so please tell a friend. They can search The Second Chapter wherever they listen to podcasts. Thanks for spreading the word. We've all dreamed of being a rock star, right? Well, this week I'm speaking with Kathy Lowhead and Steph Smith of the garage punk band Velvet Crisis who have made that dream come true. Kathy and Steph are self-described normal women, except they happen to be in their 60s and newly in a punk band. Thanks to Ruth Miller and her unglamorous music project, women like Kathy and Steph aren't, quote, old women sitting at home watching TV, but old women on stage. We're talking about how punk music has stopped them from being invisible has allowed them to embrace their inner loud. I've got nothing to write a song about and I
1: oh yes I have. And so I wrote my first song which is called Invisible Woman, which is about as women get older, they they're easily ignored. They're just not there. I'd never written a song before. And suddenly I was writing loads and loads of songs and I found that it.
0: it was an outlet for what I hadn't appreciated it was a lot of built up anger. Kathy and Steph, thank you so much for joining me for the second chapter. How are you? Very well, thank
1: you. Thanks for asking us.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. We're good. I originally found you because Kathy was featured in The Guardian talking about Velvet Crisis for their Life Changes After 60 series, which I'm always reading because, of course, I love them. But first, I would like to know a little bit about you. Before all of this, this Guardian article, etc. So, Cathy, since I've found you because of you, give me a little bit of your career background, life background. So, life background brought up
2: in Liverpool. You can just vaguely hear a slight Scouse accent. It's been away a long time. Came to Leicester in 2008, and that's where I've settled. I have worked in public sector all my life. So, I've either worked in local government or I'm working now in the NHS. My main... Career has been in project and program management. I've got two children, who are boy who's twenty five, girl who's twenty, and got a really, I think, sort of ordinary life in terms of bringing up children, going to a good group of friends. Parents died a few years ago, and that's probably what most people's lives are like: ups and downs along the way, some big ups, some big downs, and then arrived at sixty out of the pandemic, and was just thinking. I've spent two years in the house.
0: I think a lot of us thought I've spent two years in the house. So it is interesting because I feel like there's lots of changes that people go through, but it's been even more of a spike, I think, after two years in the house. Nobody wants to be doing exactly the same thing they were always doing.
2: And so my office, like many people, used to be a child's room left and now become my office because I work for hospitals going into work was only ever and still is when it's really required so I still spend a lot of the time in the house in the week and one of the things that I don't think anybody's ever realized was as much as we hated going to work often and moaned about work there was a great social context to work and seeing people and talking to people and feeling what you're doing was good because you were in with other people talking about things, whatever that job was, really, really important social aspect of it. And then the pandemic took work away, it took that work aspect away. It didn't take work away, although it ended for some people, but it took that work aspect away of the social dimension. And so every day you're in the house, your house is your office, your house is your home, your house is everything you do. And you're largely there on your own. And and it just felt like I needed to do something in the day that was making a change in the the house.
0: Me out of that house. And Steph, were you already not working, retired, Mm. or onto something else when the pandemic hit? Absolutely, yeah. Retired in 2015.
1: And I didn't mind the pandemic at all. I didn't mind the solitude of it. It didn't really affect my life adversely at all. My husband has always worked at home. He's always been a freelance illustrator. Over the past few years, I do his books, so I'm there as well. So we're just this sort of older couple bumbling along in our house. I discovered walking out. I discovered buttercup, buttercup Meadows was the big thing for me during the lockdown Um because I used to go out for a walk and used to go and find buttercup Meadows and walk through those and be wonderful. And I quite liked... Not hearing the trains and not seeing planes and not seeing cars on the roads because um, I, I live in an, a very urban environment with a road on one side and railway on the other.
2: Mm-hmm. And it was so
1: beautifully quiet. And I really did enjoy that. And it meant I could I could play my guitar as much as I wanted. I played classical guitar um, up until the start of the pandemic. But I've been a science teacher all my life. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about that because yeah, I know um, you said as a biology teacher. Yeah, I was a biology teacher. started off as a biology teacher because I don't know anything about physics and chemistry. And then in 1985, when they introduced the national curriculum, you had to be a science teacher. You couldn't just be a specialist. So I went from not knowing anything about physics and chemistry to having to teach GCSE level physics and chemistry as well as biology. And that was an ordeal for me. I got to... <laughs> I never, ever got on top of the physics. I don't so, and A story about the, my last year of teaching, they introduced a new module for the year 11s, so the GCSE kids on electricity and magnetism. I taught electricity and magnetism before, but not on this module. So they introduced a new module with a new test. So I taught the kids the work. And while they were doing at the end of module test, I thought, I'll have a go at this test. I didn't tell them I was doing it but while, I, so I just did it while they were doing that. And when I marked everything, I got 11 out of 20 and they were all, get, they were all getting 16 and 17, 18 out of 20. So I taught it properly. I just didn't understand it. I just didn't get it. And that was in my very I mean, last year of teaching that time, how physics alone, I learned. just, it just didn't stick because if I'd been interested
0: in physics, I would have learned it originally. And you mentioned guitar, and that I know that you'd said to me prior that you'd p- played for thirty plus years. Yeah. So was it always just something that was a hobby? It was, yeah. A- yeah, my brother, when I was a kid, when I was about thirteen
1: or fourteen, my brother gave me a, an old tatty little parlor guitar, and uh, I wanted to be able to play like Joe Bias and Bob Dylan. So I went to a music school shop and said, do you know anybody that can teach me to play guitar? And she said, yeah, my husband teaches it. Come along, I'll teach." So I went along every week for two years and had a guitar lesson. And he taught me classical guitar. And because I was too young to say to him, this isn't really what I want, I learned classical guitar. And I learned to read music and some nice pieces. And I just kept it going. I was always interested in it. Uh, so when I was 40, I bought myself a nice Classical guitar and started having lessons, have lessons for about six years. And I gave the lessons up because that changed, I changed my teacher and I didn't really get to win the teacher. And I just kept it going as a hobby and I'd buy new pieces and so on, but I never progressed any further. But that was Mm -hmm. enough. That was fine. It was wonderful, gentle, beautiful release.
0: I think it's interesting though, that you continued playing, that you bought yourself a nice guitar and started doing lessons at around 40 or at 40 and still did classical. Even when you were old enough now to say, you know what? That wasn't what I wanted. I want to play Joan Bias. (laughs) But it always seemed out of reach to me.
1: I didn't know if you could have lessons to learn how to do that. And I knew that you could have lessons for classical and I knew that I could be good at it. And I don't know, got to grade four. So that's not bad. I was just about to take my grade five exam when I I thought, no, I can't bother with with this teacher anymore. I'll just play the guitar. And I didn't. I just played the guitar on my own
0: at home. Happy to do that. And I think it's fair to say, like Kathy said, you've had, for lack of a better word, normal lives. You're nice, normal ladies. (laughs) Leading nice lives. Is that an accurate description? Very
2: ordinary in terms of school, just went through school went through college, went through work, had a family. And it's not that there weren't obviously massive moments for us, um, for the family and for me in those times. But there was nothing extraordinary about it
0: at all. A lot of times I ask people how they came into their first careers or their careers to begin with. And one of the questions is, was it what you felt was available to you at that time? I'm going to answer this because I look back, I look back, on my teaching career, and I
1: wish that I had not been a teacher. And I sort of fell into it. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school with my A-levels. And I worked for two years as a research technician at Leicester University. And the only way that I could carry on with biology at university level, which is what I wanted to do, was to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't have any other science A-levels. My other two A-levels were arts subjects. So that's what I did. I didn't really give it a lot of thought about the fact that I would actually be in a classroom with the kids. Yeah. And, and But there were bits of things about teaching that fed into my personality, which is being up front, being in front of people, talking to people, being the center of attention. It's And I think on reflection, what I should have done, and I did think about it for a while but didn't know how to do it, was I should have gone to RADA or or some drama school, somewhere I should have been an actor in because that draws me.
2: Mm -hmm. The idea of being on stage and performing, I just love it. And Cathy, what about you? The last 20 years, I moved into project and program management and I really enjoyed it. I work in the public sector and so it's been working in local government and then working in health more recently. So I always feel that doing a worthwhile job, helping organizations to deliver things that they need to deliver to so some of the most vulnerable people. So I've always found it really, really. Good. It's I've got an organized mind, I'm able to break things down quite quickly into steps, I realized I could do that, I could see that really quickly. Uh, early on in my career, a, a director spotted that in me and said, oh, you make a really good project manager, and I'm saying, really? I hadn't spotted it in myself, but they saw what I did was break everything down into steps and I could see the steps that you needed to take to get to the future. I had to work it out quite quickly. And uh, he encouraged me to apply for a job as a project manager. And, and then from there on, that's where I went on. I went one project after another and then big transformation change projects in organisations, changing the whole organisation over maybe four or five years. So now I'm back. I I, I took I retired. For two months. <laughs> uh, I, d- I just thought, oh, I'll retire. Everyone, everyone was retiring. So I said, oh, I'll retire. My partner was two years older than me. He was retiring. Lots of other people I knew were retiring. And I just said, oh, well, I'll retire. You know, I'll do something different. And I, I applied. So one of the things that I'd developed over the last sort of seven or eight years, I'd broken my foot. I was at work. I broke my foot one night. And then I was in a uh, cast for a number of weeks and off work for about two months. And I just thought, oh, what? I can't just sit here doing nothing. I'm not that person who sits and does nothing, but I could sit at a table. So I started to get into, well, I could draw, I could paint, I could do something artistic. I'd never thought about that ever previously. This is a bit like being in a band. I've never thought of that previously. So I started, uh, I saw a collage, which was sort of ripped up paper and I thought well, I can rip up paper <laughs> so I started with that I started ripping up paper and I did some collage and then from collage I thought oh it'd be nice if with this onto it and that onto it and then I started having a go doing some painting and, and eventually I started doing some drawing and, and eventually I had to go pretty much every single part of so even with my broken foot I, I got taken to a number of uh, workshops to try different things and then over the, those two, three years that then went on, I carried on doing things. And then I applied to a local university to do the art foundation course. And I got a place. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all finding out something about each other today. So I got a place. And then I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll retire and go to art college. Mm-hmm. But then I retired for the place I'd got was in the September. And I think I'd retired in the, oh, I don't know. I can't remember what month it was, but I retired. And after two months, the holiday of whatever, I just thought, I can't do this. I just can't. Mentally, I just wasn't. So I was just starting to think, I can't do this. But I I need to find somewhere. Because Art Course was a a part-time course, mm. so I knew that I'd have a whole load of time. And and just by chance, someone had contacted me and said, would I be interested in this project at the local hospitals? And that was just for six months, so I just thought, oh, that's great because I'll have the six months more work, I'll start a part-time course, but I've still been involved in that project two years on. <laughs> and I've now deferred my R course three times. Do you think you'll do it? I will definitely do it because I'm told if I don't do it next September, I won't have the place. So I'm definitely going to do it next September. But that was that's it's because I broke my foot. I'd never done anything artistic ever at all. I didn't know I had it in me at all. And then I couldn't get enough of it. Couldn't get enough of art. Went to all kinds of exhibitions, tried all different types of things. I'm still doing that. And it's a bit like the band, I never it was a chance happening, you know. Not as drastic as breaking your foot, right. <laughs> but nevertheless, a chance happening of just seeing something, uh, a friend of mine on, on our Facebook pages and just saw something and just thought, well, yeah, that looks quite interesting. That'll get me out the house. Yeah, And it was just that, it was that thing of, oh, it's in the day. And it was a Sunday. And before, there was a real demarcation between weekdays and weekends. But when you work in the house there's no demarcation. What day is it? I have no idea.
0: You do really need to make it that you have a week or that you have Uh, a workday schedule. Otherwise, you really will just always work, no idea what's going on, not have a weekend. And I think we kind of And I just
2: thought, and that's why I thought, oh, this is Sunday afternoon. That will force me into this is a Sunday. Don't open my laptop don't pick up my emails ready for monday this will force me to have actually that demarcation by going out on a sunday afternoon and it's something very different it's not in the house it's with women it's meeting maybe people i've not met before so that's a really good thing as well but it was just that seeing it pop up and just think oh yeah okay i'll go along
0: to that so i feel like we're being really mysterious because of course i know both of your stories and the backgrounds behind it, but we're just saying, it popped up and I wanted to do it and (laughs) the band. And (laughs) so I will switch to Steph. What did you see that this mysterious band that we're talking about, how did you find out about it and what got you started? Well, I think how close I came to missing this. It's quite
1: scary. I just happened to be watching the local news one night and they got a feature on about a, a band that was, oh my God, all women. Whoever knew. such so such. not only that, but they're not even young. They're older women. And I thought, well, that is interesting. And this was the Verinos and they did an article on the Verinos and they featured a uh, the woman who'd started it, uh, Ruth Miller. So uh, they, they looked like a really fun band. I really looked at them and I just thought, I'm going to look at them on Facebook and follow them on Facebook. So I started following them on Facebook. And uh, she'd been talking about why she'd started the Verinos. And she's been in, the music business for quite some time and used to be in a a band called Poe and they recorded and they traveled abroad with them, toured But she just had this feeling that she wanted to play with a group of women. She wanted to play with women Mm musicians. But all the women that she knew who could play, they were all busy with their own bands or they haven't got time or they're committed to other things. And so she literally (laughs) roped in her friends whether or not they (laughs) could play and just said, come (laughs) on, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And she's got the drummer and the bass player
0: had to never played those instruments ever before. Oh, that is so exciting to me because my dream, one of my dreams, is okay having you on because I'm fangirling. But I've seen bands where I feel like I want to play the bass. I just mm-hmm. that's, I just want to be in a band and be like the cool person slapping the bass. That sounded so uncool, <laughs> but that's what I want. So yes, that's encouraging. Go on. <laughs> so it, it just appealed to me that she'd got such energy and such verbs that she was, she,
1: she and such so enthusiasm and inspiration to inspire people to have a go at something they've ever done. And there they, they were on, on the stage performing and they came across as very professional. It's literally, it, it's the old, you know, if you pretend you, you know what you're doing, then people think you do. So I started following them on Facebook and literally a week later, she put a post under the Verino saying, I'm going to start workshops for women who want to have a go at playing an instrument in a band. It doesn't matter if you can't play, come along and have a go anyway. And when I could play classical guitar and I'd, I'd actually bought myself an electric guitar at the start of lockdown and so I'd had a memory the chords and everything. I so I got in touch with her and said, I, I, I'm not a complete beginner. Can I still come along? And she said, oh, yes, we need people, some people that know what they're doing. So I went along. And this was a couple of weeks before Christmas last year. And she'd hired three or four rooms in a local rehearsal studios in Leicester, Stay Free Studios. And in each room, there was a set of drums, a keyboard, and guitars, electric guitar, bass guitar. And anybody could come along, just have a go. And I took my own guitar and joined in. And for a couple of weeks, we just moved from room to room, playing with different people. And that was how we got into it to start with. And all it was ever going to be for me was go along on Sunday and have a play with these people. That's
0: all it was ever going to be. And Kathy, you wanted to go along because it was on a Sunday. It was going <laughs> to mark out your life. It's going
2: to get me out the house. And that picture of you holding a bass guitar was exactly the picture of my friend Monica holding a bass guitar that she posted. And I thought, because she looks cool. And I knew she didn't play. And I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll know Monica. So that was partly, I knew, with no one woman. And I thought, oh, get me out the house. I hadn't clocked, I don't know why, but I hadn't clocked at all. It was rock or punk rock or garage, wherever. I just thought it was come and be in a band. So I was because I've done lots of community stuff in the past with women, I was expecting it to be like in a hall Mm -hmm. and there'd just be instruments and we'd just be sitting around shaking things. (laughs) (laughs) Like the junior school orchestra. And there'd be like tea and cake, (laughs) as it always is when you put women together. And it'd be something like that. And it just, you know, a bit sort of... Sedate, it sounds not necessarily today, but a bit sort of like fun, a bit more communal and and whatever, and just have a go and here's whatever. And I, I, I'd I'd 'cause gone to a couple of things in the past would have been like a bit like uh like community choir stuff where you're just in a hall. So I got that in my head, and then when I got there and realised that they're a proper rehearsed space, and all the instruments were electric, I just remember just thinking, oh my goodness. That's not at all what I was expecting. And also, uh, initially, it it didn't put me off. It just was making me think. It was like, I I was like the rabbit in the head, like my eyes would just go wider and wider. That Ruth was absolutely committed of this being professional
0: Mm.
2: and not professional as in a you know um maybe serious is better word than professional serious about out of this would you would be able to play in a band and do something maybe never thought possible before it is incredible but it wasn't just about fun Mm -hmm. it was about fun and being serious about having fun being in a band slightly different take on fun. It's fun because it is an immense fun. You can see, just we absolutely love it. But there's a seriousness to it, getting better. Bruce' ethos was that anybody can play.
1: If they want to have a go, they need to be able to play a chord. If you can just pluck this string in time with the drum, and if the drummer can just keep that beat going, and if the bass player can play this, thing, then you do it all together. And you've got something that sounds like music, and you've got people working together, and it lifts people's belief that actually they can achieve something. They suddenly realize that just by doing something very
2: simple, would you agree Mm. with that? It was incredibly accessible. I came in and and as I said, it was all I'd not played anything before, it was all electric. I was just thought, Oh my goodness. But the first thing she did, everyone could play some mix, we're just gonna play a two note song. We're gonna learn B and we're gonna learn G. Mm -hmm. And so people got their guitar so you could do it. I'm telling you now you can do it. Your bass guitar showed your positions where G is, whatever. To be fair, I didn't know where G was on a keyboard, so that's why I emanated to that, because I thought, oh, I know where G is. And then with the drum, she was just showing the drummers who wanted to have a go drumming, right? This is a really simple beat. So she broke everything down to its bare bones. And a lot of, she said a lot of songs are based around a three-chord, What well, you know, mm-hmm. now you hear this, you realise it's actually quite simple. But she made it incredibly accessible. So we played, I was in the absolute beginner's room, and so she was like, say, angry or whatever. And then she said, right now, think of some words to go along with this. So, what did you do today? Did you walk the dog? We'll do a song about walking the dog. I walked the dog. It was raining. You know, and that was it. That was it. It it ran from four o'clock. And then the different rooms, you know, there were people like Steph who had, knew her way around a guitar and some people who who knew how to play and others who didn't. So it was a real mix. It was a mix of women, mix of ethnicities, mix of ages and of of previous experience. And then whichever room you were coming up to 6 o'clock when it ended, we'd all go around each other's rooms and hear whatever song had been created that day by whatever group. And we all clapped because we were all in awe of it, you know what somebody had done. We go, oh my god, that's amazing! They've just done that, and then go to the next room, oh. <laughs> and it just felt great because everyone was like responding instantly to everybody else. And on the other thing, forget about this, but the other thing we have to bear in mind is, as you know, Lester was the first to go in the lockdown and the last to go into mm-hmm. lockdown, and so we were all there in the rooms with masks on. <laughs> And you can see pictures of us. She's gonna go. Right, all get together, all get together, and she would take a picture at the end of twenty, thirty women, all with our masks on. Nothing
0: more punk rock than that. But it was
2: incredibly accessible. There were women who had never held a guitar, never held drumsticks. In those early weeks, we're just doing two beats or two thrashes of the guitar. That was it. Who are now? Well, I was going to say twelve months, but actually, everyone played in in three months later i all played with lots more notes.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that I was really wondering about is how do you go from, okay, we have this absolute beginner's room and we're moving through these rooms and making up songs about walking the dog in the rain to Velvet Crisis, a band which is playing out together, which obviously you've chosen <laughs> what you actually do in the band. How did that transition happen? For
2: me, I was in the absolute beginners. But a long, 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 long time ago, I had piano lessons for one year. I I was living in a shared house in Coventry, gone to a jumble sale. There was a piano there for 14 pound. and I just thought, brilliant, we'll have that. And so we wheeled it back. So we wheeled it back to the house. And then I got lessons for one year while I was living in that house to play the piano. And then... I moved different houses and a piano couldn't come with me and it couldn't come with me till move moved back, moved to Leicester and then it came to me. But then I just, I never ever had lessons after that one year, but I did know generally I could start to remember, I could start to remember chords and then I was looking on YouTube in, in between the week trying to remember the chords and so forth. And then I think I'd been there for maybe the third week or fourth week, can't remember. And I'd got there a bit earlier and I was playing around with the chords and I started to remember the scales and Ruth walked in and she went, you know chords? Well, a bit. And she goes, you can't be in this this room, the absolute beginner's room. So she picked me up and I was going,
0: oh no, I'm really happy here. This is a good place for me. I'm fine.
2: (laughs) So she picked me up and brought me into another room where Steph was in that room and Danny and Janet and Sophie and two other women, Monica was in that room and and another guitarist. And she said, you've got a keyboard player now. So we were all in that room. And we were in that room for a couple of weeks more messing around. And then she said, one week she came in, she said, oh, I need two guitarists because nobody's turned up in another room and they need some guitarists. And Monica and another guitarist left us to go into another room. And that left the five
0: of us in. And the five of us became Velvet Crisis. So that leads me to two other questions. Unglamorous music. Is that how, has Ruth, when she put the post up about the workshops, were they originally called Unglamorous Music?
2: I've known it as that right from the start. Okay. okay. Yeah. I just saw it on my friend's Facebook page. So I didn't see the original post. I just saw my friend saying, I went to this thing. It was great fun. Come so along, something to other women. Ruth's
1: vision was to not just to spread the word that women can be in band, but to promote a scene within Leicester, Mm -hmm. a women's music scene within Leicester and the overall name of it was on Glamorous Music. Right from the start, she had that vision and just going back to what Kathleen was saying about the way the group came together, we literally just would just... Jam because we didn't know what to play. And I might say, "Oh, let's just do this chord," and start playing one, and it, it would just come together. And we, oh, we seemed to gel together really well. We were no. one uh, quite early on, very early on in the group, um, particularly good jamming session. And as we finished, I said to the group, "We're a group, aren't we?" And they said, <laughs> "Yeah." And then on, we only played together. And somebody from one of the other groups followed me. She's told me this story, but I don't remember it. She came in, a singer, and she said, oh, can I come and join in with you? you? And we said, apparently, no, we're a group. So,
2: rude. Oh, no. I don't know. Did we? I, I
0: might not have been there. Yeah, you were there. <laughs> so, it- so was yeah. Cathy singing at that point? Because I know. If how were, you- where no, were oh, you? No, 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 no. So you were I, like, I we're a group. We don't have a singer, but we don't need one. Oh, we had the singers. We had oh, people okay. who
1: did the songs, but. Okay. In I thought we were very flexible. With but Ruth's vision for the organization, if you like, was, was for everybody, who for all the bands, to perform. Uh, she'd organized a gig. She told us about this right at the start of the year. She said, I've organized a gig on International Women's Day, which is the 8th yes. of March.
0: I was going to say, 8th of March, I know it very well. <laughs> and uh, it's
1: going to be at this club in town. And what she wanted was for each group, to be able to perform at least one song on the night. And in the end, I think there were four or five bands yeah. and we all play at least three or four songs on that. the thing about what we do is we write our own material. We're not dependent on doing cover songs and making sure this and right coach. It's out there our songs. So if we go yeah. wrong, nobody knows except us.
2: I think we'd been together maybe a couple of sessions. It was quite soon after week the five of us had got into the room and we'd started being a band or a group, whatever. And then she came in, she got everyone at the end and so I've got this idea that it'd be a really good a gig and it'd be on International Wednesday. And I remember everyone just go, oh, it's only a couple
0: months ago. Suddenly
2: that and she said, And so what you've got to do is you've just gotta you've gotta come up with a song and come up with a name. Yes, that
0: dance. was my second question. How did you come up with the name? So that
2: was what she was Task in everyone to do was one song and a band name, and but one of the things that she was really surprised about, and she says this, is she was really surprised that nobody did covers. And I've been asked this: why didn't you do any covers? And because covers, when you don't know anything about music, covers are really hard. Mm. I don't know what the notes are for any song. I don't even know what the notes are I'm playing. So to try and copy something and make it sound like the song it's meant to be would have been an impossible task. Whereas if you jam and make it up as you go along, that's immediately easy. You can just do that. And so that's why I think everybody, it wasn't necessarily to do with wanting to be different or unique. It was more just a practical reason at that time. How wonderful it's opened up. This sort of fountain
1: creativity that I didn't know yeah. was there. I didn't know was no. there. I mean, you, you, Kathy, you, you. Not mention the fact that you've, you're a poet and you do write poetry quite often during our jamming sessions. We'd be jamming away, and Kathy just gets her phone out and walks up to the microphone while we're jamming these chords. And starts singing her, her lyrics to this, and that's well. We've had two or three songs come out from that, haven't we? Where you just taken your words that you've already written thinking you were writing a
2: poem not realizing perhaps at the time you were writing a song which I didn't realize I had this back catalog so I don't know a few years ago a friend of mine had died and as a release I just started writing some poetry as a way of just managing that Mm -hmm. which you do I think a lot of people do this who writes things down and that became a bit of poetry and then through that somebody had said um Oh, there's this poetry night. And I said, I'll go along because I'm waiting a bit now and I'll I'll do stuff. And I went along, uh, to, uh, something called Find the Right Words. And it was of all the places it was, which is, which is one of the places we've most recently closed is upstairs at the Western, which is a pub in town. And uh, it's got a little theatre above the pub. And it was fine. It was called Find the Right Words. And it was great. Very, really good. And, but they had an open mic and every week people they had a a performing poem and maybe touring and then they also had an open mic session and then they also had a workshop prior to the session so I started going along to the workshops and having a go and then through that I started doing some of the open mic sessions and I did it there was a point at which I just thought oh god I'm who am I doing?" I had that real imposter syndrome Just who am I? And there were so many who were really talented people and they are really talented people. There were poets there who were on the national scene and singers as well who who had caught. And so I just, I had one week, I just had this overwhelming sense of imposter syndrome and I stopped going. And I classically did what, you know, which is not only did I stop performing, but I stopped going because I didn't want people to be asking me, why aren't you doing anything? And I just collapsed away from it because I just felt... I felt embarrassed by the thought that I thought I might be a poet. You know, it made me feel excruciatingly embarrassed and I, I pulled away from it.
0: Is it, it. It's just, I don't know. I hear a story like that and I think of a couple of different things. First of all, it's really interesting that both of you have come across or realized this creativity that maybe you didn't have in your former careers or life growing up. But also as women, I know that there are men with imposter syndrome. But as women, it's this ongoing thing that I think is so prevalent that you want to try something new or you want to be creative, and it's just who am I? You put it perfectly. Yeah, Absolutely. Who am I? Who do I think I'm? Kidding? So then, fast forward two, three years,
2: I'm now in this group, and someone says, "I can't remember who said it, who, which person said it." But someone said, "Has anybody got any words?" And of course, on my phone, or- even though I'd stopped going. And
0: doing it publicly, I had carried on writing. Of course, because it was in you. You had no choice. You had to do it. It just was the imposter syndrome holding you back. But I was just
2: doing it night, sitting, nobody else, not sharing it with anyone. So I'd got this phone full of poems. And I said, Well, I've got some (laughs) work. And so that's how it started. And the first thing, I wouldn't say I sang. What I did, I did spoken word. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I was doing it. I was doing it as more a spoken word. And certainly the first one, and then I, I've gone on to perform, it's more spoken word than singing, because that was the only way I felt confident enough to do it, which is all, what, the one we end with. That is, but there's certainly more spoken word, because I didn't think I could sing but I was happy shouting it. <laughs>
1: but with I mean, I'd I never written a song before. Before the band got together, while we were still moving around from group to group, one of the other women on the project that talked about Ruth said, does anybody write songs? And she said, oh yeah, I've written loads of songs, but I've never performed them. I've never been at the band. And she, she's a really good guitarist and she writes really good songs. And she said, but oh, I've got loads of them, loads of songs. That just seemed such a weird thing to me. I've never come across anybody who'd written a song before, and it drilled away in my head for days. And I, thought, I found that really weird. What would I write a song about? I've got nothing to write a song about. And I told, oh, yes, I have. You know. And so I wrote my first song, which is called "Invisible Woman," which is about as women get older, they they they're easily ignored. They disappear into the background because they're of no value anymore. Don't see them on television. You don't see them. You no, know, they're just not there. You just they put you in a box, put you on the head and say, there, there, you'll be fine. And I wrote that and I'd, I'd never written a song before. And suddenly I was writing loads and loads of songs and I found that it. it was an outlet for what I hadn't appreciated it was a lot of built up anger.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to say what a perfect, you know, you say, Kathy, oh, I don't I didn't think I could sing, so this was something I could shout. Invisible Woman sounds like a song that absolutely needs to be screamed. Well, Kathy does the screaming in our group. <laughs>
1: but yes, you're <laughs> absolutely right. I mean, my songs do tend to be complainy songs. And Kathy's songs oh, are, are much more oh, I don't know how it, much more to do with political justice. Uh, Also worth screaming about, I have to say. (laughs) Worthwhile topics where I'm just moaning about things, you know.
0: No, I think, I mean, I think it's fair that either of them could provoke a nice amount of anger and some good screamy lyrics. So
1: this is the thing that, that we say about this project, because we're not all young kids, and all what occupies the attention of very young people, teenagers and 20s, is their love loves. And a lot of songs are about I love you, or you don't love me, or whatever. Yeah, heartbreak. and So far, I don't think there's been any of that. It's been all about our life experiences and what we see and the injustices that we see. So we've got song the themes. It, we just, within our group, Velvet Crisis, we've got corporate greed, corrupt politicians, mm-hmm. exploitation of workers, strikes, as well as things that annoy me, kids leaving home, relationship changes. I think that sounds you know, it's, like all annoying it's, already. It's, it's just an opportunity to say what you really think about things and to literally say what you want to say rather than couch it in ambiguous uh, language.
0: Yeah. Um, it's just get, aggressive, if, not passive aggressive.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I also
2: think if you're going to be on stage and there's going to be people listening, you might as well say something important. Yeah, right? say yeah something absolutely. About yeah. We're going to select my pain of singing on you.
0: It might be about something important. You've got a lovely voice, can <laughs> yeah. And I understand you're taking singing lessons now as well. I voice. that was plus training. Uh, so it's training. I was coming up to 60.
2: So my 60th birthday was in October and, and I joined this, I think it was something like the end of October, beginning of November. But I've had a list like a lot of people do around big birthdays, things I want to do. But on the list, it was like learn a new skill because I think it's uh, learn something new it wasn't a skill, learn something new because I think it's really important, you know, mentally. And you know, I'm a great believer is you're never too old. There's always things you don't know, and and learning something new is something that keeps you present, mm-hmm. you know. So that was Absolutely. really important to me. And but I never knew the thing that I was going to learn. Learning, you know, learning how to sing. I didn't even know I could sing. So that's the other, it's not something that had really ever been in my life. I think music was always something that I listened to. I've seen endless bands and I can never get enough of music. I've always been really music orientated and that's never changed. But I always thought it was something that I listened to and something that was never created by me. I never ever thought that this would be my skill, ever, ever. And so it's it's just taken me utterly by surprise. I'm doing two things in the band, I'm playing keyboards and I've started singing, but I was really conscious that I can hide the keyboard because the guitars are so loud and so are the drums (laughs) and I can turn the keyboard down. So so my priority for getting better was not the keyboard, whereas my voice, because I'm there and I'm at The front and I'm singing and I can't. I have to get that better. So that was my sort of. So I focused on the voice rather than on the keyboards of improving. This is the same thing about women in our heads. Is the band were saying because I said, "Well, I've got this tune. I've got this song. I've got this idea." And then Sophie particularly would say, "Well, sing it to me." And I goes, "Well, it it goes something like this." And then she'd say to me, you know, the reason, and i go, oh, but that's brilliant, Sophie, That's brilliant, brilliant. Oh, Sophie, you're amazing. And then she'd go back to me, but the reason I can go, Kathy, is because you're on pitch. And i go, oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm terrible. And the band would tell me that I've got a good voice, that I could sing. Yes, yeah, and I just going, did that. Right and I'd be going, no, they're just being God. kind. yes. And we do that all the time, don't we? We get a compliment and we say, Oh, that's because we don't believe it. And if we, if, and we only believe it because we think they're being kind or the women are being kind.
0: Yeah. I definitely understand that because I just put on a show that had some audience feedback and there was amazing feedback, amazing across the board. One person woke up on the wrong side of the bed. It sounds like from their comments, but that is the person I can remember the exact quotes and yeah. all the good stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but.
2: Yeah, mm. and you dismiss
0: it and you say
2: it's because of this or because of that, or and all the time you, these excuses of why it can't possibly be true. But I just thought if I have singing lessons, then it'll sort my pitch out and I'll get better at it. And then of course I have singing lessons and the you know professional tuition and says, um, well the thing is I don't need to worry about is your pitch. Uh, well, I go, really, really, are you sure? But what she's teaching, so she's teaching me to, you know, to be more confident. But then she says it's like any instrument you need to learn to use it. Yeah. To expand it and learn the tricks of the trade and how to breathe and all those things. And that's what she's, uh, I go once a week and I, I know I've improved. But my challenge is to get away from the shouty spoken word and to become much more singy. So that's where I'm to, to get to. It's not. I'm not leaving the shouty spoken word this. Good. I was going to
0: (laughs) say, first of all, don't worry. That That seems important, but also it seems important to the theme, but also one of my questions, which we still haven't gotten to the velvet crisis bit. But one of my questions is also, was it always the plan for Ruth or for you all that it was going to be shouty punk rock how did that come about i I don't think that was the plan i think that's just what came out easier to do a
1: few power chords on a guitar than to do anything technical that sounds melodic in harmony and so on just pound out a few power chords and it sounds fantastic but even better it feels absolutely wonderful
0: Thank you. When right. you started so I, saying that, I, yeah. I just was like, wait a second. We're going back to the like, Oh, it's just easier yeah. to do it that way. No, no. And I feel like is it's just joyous.
2: Art. It's absolutely just so joyous to stand there and make the loudest noise that you possibly can. It's, it, it's incredible. It's, it's just, and sometimes we stop and we're just like, Oh my God. We're like, you know, we're just, we're, Absolutely love it, and I think that's the bit I've never really understood. And I start, I've you know, I'm just learning the whole time, all the time. It's not just about music, but learning about
0: myself what I really like. I actually like really loud music, really thrashy loud music. Do you think some of the joy in it, stuff you mentioned, Invisible Woman? Do you think that there's something to just being as loud and taking up that kind of space? Yeah, like I said before, I'm always happy when I'm the center of attention, and been up on
1: the stage, you've got that. But we played a, a gig recently where they've got better sound system than we've had before. And when we plugged our guitars into their amps and went mm-hmm. it just went through us. It just was unbelievably loud. You could feel the stage break You seen. we just wanted to just make that noise all night. It was absolutely incredible.
2: Yeah, we did. We all just went, yeah. wow. Okay. It's like the noise was
0: incredible. For once and for all, someone please tell me how you came <laughs> up with a Velvet Crisis as your name. <laughs> I, I beg you. We, we, so we <laughs> got together as a group. We knew we were a group
1: and we knew that on the 8th of March, we were going to have to perform uh, as a group. And Ruth wanted to put up some advertising material on, posters, with the group's names on. And we had to, so we'd got to come up with a name gave each other lots and lots of ideas and I wrote them all down on two, a sheet of paper and covered an A4 sheet, two columns, so lots and lots of names and we couldn't agree on it. So we came to a rehearsal session. We said, right, we've got to come up with something today. We've got to come up with something. And we came up with the Velvetees.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we like that. We really like that. I think it was somebody had mentioned it the week before. So yeah, we kind of think we were going to be the Velvete's and then there's a group with that name already. So... We should change the spelling. Maybe they were teens with two E's. No, they were teens with E A. No, 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 no. Um, and what, then it was the uh, velvet. The velveteens the velvets. Velvet, no, velvet no, no, no. The, the velvets. Velvet. What about just velvet? Mm. No, what was that? And suddenly, Danny, the drummer, she said, We're having a bit of a velvet crisis, aren't we? We went, That's it. it. That's
0: it. And that was it. Velvet absolutely crisis was awesome. Absolutely love it. I love it. I do feel like that's sort of how things are named. Because I know with my production company, it was like I was coming up with all these names. And then I was trying to describe the point of the company is that we were walking this fragile balance, like one of those slack lines. you know. And I just went, slack line, it's slack line. And now I can't even associate a slack line that goes between the two trees as that. To me, slack line is obviously my production company because... It just, it, it was like it doesn't even necessarily mean something really specific, except for it does. There's a story. I love that. We're having a bit of a velvet crisis, aren't we? <laughs> and then what it's turned out, which is really, is some of our songs
2: are a bit more velvety. They're a bit more melodic and a bit more reflective. And then others are definitely a crisis. They're <laughs> screamy, shouty. And it's... And that's how Ruth has introduced us. Ruth has gone on then to introduce us. Sometimes they're more velvet and then other times they're more crisis.
0: And it's really good that we've got that sort of side to us. <laughs> I absolutely love that. It is such a perfect name because when I think of it, it sounds punk rock. Like I'm just like,
1: yeah, some of the names of the groups. But they're just amazing. Can I name some of the groups?
0: Of course. So we've
1: got Dada women. We've got the wonky portraits. And when I, I asked them, "Where did you get them? them all? Sounded good. You know, Uh Venus Attacks is the new one, isn't
2: it? My, my favorite is Virginia's yes, Wolves. Yes,
1: Virginia's Wolves. <laughs> I, I have no idea what any of them mean or whether they mean anything, but they don't need to do they? It. Yeah,
0: because I remember that was a game I used to play with my friends. We would just say something weird. Somebody would say something weird and be like, oh, yeah, that's going to be my band name. <laughs> <laughs> just I don't know. It just was if somebody said something that made no sense, it always became what the next band name was going to be. But those are definitely some good names. Yeah. So often I get to the end of the episode and I'm like, oh, did you bring a quote for me today? But there's been 10 things you've said that are more interesting than the quotes that maybe you've brought along. But I'm still going to ask for quotes. Steph, may I ask you to go first? Yeah, my quote is, and it is, it's not a, a
1: real blasting quote, it is, do what you can. And this was said to me when I was working at a school and I was having huge discipline issues in a particular class. And... I've had all kinds of advice and so on. And I in the end I went to my head of department and said, Please just give me something that I can take away that I can use for this class and he said, Do what you can. And I was so disappointed with that. I, said, well, I can't do that anymore. And then as that, over the years I realised what a wonderful piece of advice it is, because if you do what you can, nobody can ask anything of you done what you can justify what you do because this is what you can do if you can't do it you can't do it but if you can do it you'll do it and you should do it you absolutely should and i just think it's a really good understanding piece of advice
0: yeah it's a good gift and it's a good gift to yourself to say yeah i'm gonna do what i can and sometimes that's gonna be a lot and it's gonna be i'm really doing what i can and other times it's saying, you know what, I can only do what I can. And it did kind of change how I thought about that class. Hell, reverse sort of way. I do think a good piece of advice is something that comes back to you again and again in a time when you need it. So I think that's a great quote. Kathy?
2: So my one, again, goes back to that list. I put on the list, the quote up to 60, was go on and sort of Going off to some faraway land or sort of climbing a mountain. And I had done that, those things in the past. So it's not, wasn't without, you know, the realm of what I could do. And I think quite often when you are, you know, you're looking at sort of a big life event, you're thinking, this is something I need to plan. It's something I need to put money aside for. It's something I need to organize. It's, it's traveling halfway across the world. It's doing all these sort of things that go around that to have this big adventure. And it turned out the adventure was around the corner on my doorstep. And I think that's this idea that to do something amazing, you have to plan and spend lots of money on and get caught up into that whole idea of, of it being something that Instagram of all and you're going on this, you're going to do that, you're going to see these amazing places. You have to spend a lot of money to have an adventure when actually I've spent hardly anything It was £10 a week to go down and use the equipment on a Sunday afternoon. And I've had the biggest adventure and I am having the biggest adventure of my life. So sometimes that adventure is just around the corner.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I do have to ask, what's the ultimate velvet crisis dream? Well, that's a good question. We haven't even thought. I've talked thought about that.
1: having our own album, haven't we? Almost yeah. got enough material, I think, to do our own album.
2: But for me, I, for me, it's like the playing live. So it
0: it would be just playing live. You're living the dream, then. You're living yeah, the dream. Yeah, We're weekly. not going to be a, a, a full time permanent
1: punk band. everybody's shook the us. Never say never. The people, the people, never they're say they're never. all working. Dan isn't estate state agent. Sophie's a scientist with the Space Center in, in Leicester. Uh, Janet's a conservative Church of England. They're people with proper careers. Proper? I mean, I had a proper career, but I'm retired. I don't have anything. Yours, I've got all the time in the world, but they haven't. And they're fitting all this in, and you're fitting this in around a, a working line.
2: But it's just so exciting and so it just, I don't ever want it to end. I think this has come as important. So that's why I wouldn't use the word proper because I think we've all got to a place where it's as important as our jobs and our time with our families. It's getting that balance in it. I think we've all, it's all been elevated as important because it's as much about us as our career it's as much about us as, is, as us as individuals it's getting to that status isn't it that this is what makes us who we are and what makes us happy yeah. yes well I think you're both rock stars <laughs> punk stars you need to go and get yourself in a bag I can see it you
0: can do like, it can you do you look you look like you'd handle it really well to be fair, in in college, I was in a band and I sang and played my violin. So, you know, know what goes around comes around. <laughs> electrify, <Absolutely>. my violin. <laughs> electrify my violin and get my screaming lungs out because I got some things Do to it. scream about, Do let it. me tell you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you both so much for joining me today. I've had such a great time chatting with you and I'm really inspired and It's Velvet Crisis. I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes so everybody can listen to you scream (laughs) (laughs) and be velvety at the same time. But is there any other advice you would give to somebody who's thinking about a big change or trying something that maybe they hadn't planned before? Don't leave it until it was nearly too late for me. I could have missed
1: something I didn't even know I was going to miss. Not to mean I could have been sitting at home now totally oblivious of all of this I was so close to not doing it if I missed that TV program if I'd not followed them on Facebook I'd have been an old lady watching the TV and now I'm an old lady on the stage
2: <laughs> just do it just don't wait until you've got time yeah just do it just do whatever it is that you're thinking oh I'd love to have a go at that
1: one of the just do one it. of the songs that the Reno sing. One of the lies is, I thought I'd had the best years of my life. I thought I'd that happened. You know, and you can have the best years. And they're in a
2: photo album. Yeah. So you're looking back, you're thinking it's yeah. done. And, and they go on to say, make it happen. But we made it yeah. happen. And it's now you're yeah. having it. And that's what you've just got to never think it's over. True. <laughs> sure. yeah. Until the garage punk
0: woman in the 60s sings. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the second chapter newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.